Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of the cold start problem by Andrew Chen, using network effects to scale your product. You might have heard of the term network effects in maybe business class or maybe some hotshot in the office is spruiking it, trying to sound smart. But I guess beyond the basic definitions that you might read in the, the textbook or on uh, Investopedia or something that uh, very few people know how network effects really work. And even more importantly, nobody knows how they can actively create them rather than just accidentally stumbling upon them. Yeah, it's a little buzzword, I think, for startups and entrepreneurs who are just trying to sound good when they're speaking to other people at meetups. But um, you'd say 95% of people out there don't know actually what the hell they are. Yeah. But our man here, Andrew Chen, he really does know what they are because he was an early employee at Uber and he saw the power of network effects and how they work and how hard they are to cultivate firsthand. And then he also, after that, he moved to work for the investment sort of VC firm Andreessen Horowitz, A16Z or Z, depends how you want to pronounce that. And he's been closely involved with a whole bunch of like unicorn startups that have harnessed network effects and achieved massive growth. So the first phase of this framework we're going to be speaking about in this episode is called, like the title suggests, the cold start problem. And this is what every single product faces in its inception. Um, if you think about it, if you got a telephone and you're the first person to invent the telephone, if there's uh, nobody out there who's got another telephone, <laughs> it's useless. That first telephone, you might seem like, wow, I've got this awesome new invention, but you can't call anyone. That's right. But if all your <laughs> mates and everyone you know has got a telephone, then the telephone is something that you can't live without. So, you know, in between, you know, the first person who got the telephone and invented it, they obviously had the cold start problem and they were able to solve it. Um, with you know the product that we use every day. That's right. If there aren't enough users on a social network, no one to interact with, everyone's going to leave. If a workplace uh, chat product doesn't have all your colleagues on there, it's not going to be adopted by the whole office. If a marketplace doesn't have enough buyers or enough sellers or enough products listed, it's going to go months without a product sale and it's going to very quickly die. So really, this is the cold start problem. If you are trying to start up a new business or a new product, with network effects, if you don't overcome this cold start problem very quickly, you're going to die. You or the product? <laughs> the product's going to die. <laughs> okay, that's good. And good hopefully concepts. not you, but yeah. The, You'll die the, one day, but um, everyone's going to die. The product will yeah. die before you. <laughs> yeah. So, in classic usage, so the person who's shooting shit by the water cooler, their definition of the network effect is something that happens when products get more valuable as more people use them. All right, it's a pretty yeah. simple definition, but it's a really good starting point, I it think, is. to begin yeah. with. Simple, but fair enough. Uh, at Uber, where Big Chenny used to work, the more users that join the app, then the more likely it would be that riders would quickly find someone to take them from A to B. It also meant the easier it was for drivers to fill their time with trips, increasing their earnings, and then like this virtual cycle from here. More drivers means less wait time. Less wait time means more riders are going to jump on, uh, more pay for the drivers and so on. Be like the telephone, it gets more valuable with the more people who's on it and so forth. So it happens in every place where there is a network effect where it does increase in uh, value. And a lot of people uh, at this surface level would say, hey, we're going to point to a law called Metcalfe's Law to describe the whole network effects phenomenon. And this is where it says the systemic value of compatibly uh, communicating devices grows as the square of the number. So it's not a linear growth in value. Mm. This goes uh, the square root, sorry, the uh, exponential and from there to the moon probably and beyond. <laughs> That's right. So it's saying that it grows by the square. So not, not just adding one person makes it that one unit better, but the more and more people, the more networks there are, the more 
connections there can be between different nodes of this network, then the value more than doubles. Uh, it just keeps going, as you say, just to the moon. But there's a problem with the old Metcalfe's law. Everyone loves to whip it out. It's an old law that kind of worked for a little bit and it you know, intuitively kind of makes sense. But if you kind of stop reading there, that's pretty much as far as the high-level strategic thinking goes of the old Johnny at the water cooler who's trying to spout off and trying to look cool. Yeah, well, things can't go exponentially forever for one thing, right? Like mm. you go past the moon to the Mars and before you're in, you know, it's just <laughs> at some point it does have an S-curve, so it does behave quite differently to that. Nor does it really talk about the quality of user engagement and or the, you know, sometimes when you're an active user at the very start and you've just signed up and uh, there's a degraded experience when you just get flooded by too many users to overcrowd a certain network as well. So, um, there is a lot more to it than just a simple quote, right? Like more nodes is better. Yeah, that's right. Just thinking more nodes is better is uh, is probably what most people are thinking. Just grow, 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 grow. But you got to think about a whole bunch of other different factors that go into it as well. And so what uh, our mate Andrew Chen is saying that Metcalfe's law, it's sort of broken and uh, he's got a new law, Meerkat's law, uh, that he kind of stumbled upon. I don't know if he did it, but he's claiming it anyway about looking at the mathematics of animal populations and specifically meerkats. So this explains the cold start problem a lot better according to the Chen man. So there are many types of social animals that benefit by living together and whether that's from coordinated hunting, finding mates, resisting and taking down predators. In that sense, you know, more nodes in the network are better. And of course, if for whatever reason the population starts to decline, then those benefits quickly go away as well. They become more susceptible to collapse. But then if you go the other way, if the population grows too quickly and you've got too many nodes and then you've got only so much food around and, and animals to hunt on, then you're going to have overpopulation there and that's going to have negative advantages. So with that, you're going to have the, your population plateau. So this sort of does map onto the network effects much better and um, you know, it sounds a lot familiar to the business examples we've already been uh, mentioning. Yeah, that's right. So with the meerkats, if there are not enough meerkats in the mob, they can't warn each other of danger, they're more likely to get picked off by some sneaky leopard that pops up and grabs a couple of meerkats for dinner. And then, of course, it begins this uh, vicious cycle downward from there. Once the leopard's grabbed a couple, there's even less mm. to then warn. And then the lion comes along and grabs a couple. And then the cheetah comes along and grabs a couple. And all of a sudden, the meerkats are cooked. Yeah, you don't want that. So the technology product metaphor here is obvious. If you think about Uber, right? Like you've got your, say, your customers are the, are the, uh, the meats you're trying to hunt and, and eat. But if you've got so many people <laughs> trying to hunt, the smaller amount of... Um, meerkats you're trying to <laughs> mixing metaphors here but if you've got lions eating meerkats um you're too many lions too many uber drivers not enough customers then it's all going to fail right so uh, but if you've got not enough drivers and too many customers then the customer is going to think this sucks so in, in both cases uh there is a right balance to achieve there but at the end of the day this growth curve it can't last forever because there are only so many resources that the lions can can munch on. I've kind of, <laughs> kind of cooked this metaphor now. But um, you can only support a finite population. So, things that like you think are going to grow forever in this magical uh, curve upwards, it doesn't really work like that. You're going to hit that point where you've, you've saturated the market. Yeah, that's right. For the meerkats... Uh, they're all going to be competing over bugs and fruit. And if there's too many meerkats living in too small an environment, there's overcrowding, which doesn't help. And then some of the meerkats might start to venture off and try something else. Similarly, for uh, if you end up 
with a social network and then there's too many people on there and there's a whole bunch of crap in your feed that's not relevant to you. If the network's too big, then you might think, oh, this sucks. I'm not interested in this anymore and you start to head off as well. And obviously, just the pure mathematics of if you keep scaling and scaling and scaling and growing, 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 there's eventually you get to everybody and if you get to everybody, then you can't grow anymore. So really, there's actually five primary stages in this cold start theory as we go up a totally different curve, a bit more like an S-curve. Um, firstly, you've got the cold start problem. We're going to tackle this in a bit more detail later. And this is the idea that most networks are going to fail, right? Because at the very start, as we are saying, if you're starting a company like Uber, um, why the hell would a driver go on there? There's no mm. customers. Why the hell would a customer go on there? <laughs> um, social media, everything like that, there's just... It's just pointless for everyone. So, it's a really hard problem to start and no one's going to be sticking around. So, uh, it requires getting all the right users and content on the same network at the same time, which is bloody hard. Definitely. If you can't execute that launch properly and get enough people on that network to make it valuable for people to stick around, then basically you get, you're, you're cooked. You're done. You're you going to die. You don't die, right. but <laughs> the, the definitely whatever you're doing dies. After that, then you've got the tipping point. So, it takes a hell of a lot of effort to build through these first little atomic, he calls them atomic networks because obviously they're very small. It's like Uber, they just start in one city. They don't start all around the world because it'd be so much harder. But you start in one city and maybe you grow to the next city. Eventually, if you're winning these markets and building up, kind of what happens next? How do you get to this point where you can start to take off a bit? Now, the third point, once you've got your atomic networks in and you've got sort of a scalable way to scale up your atomic networks, it's all about working furiously to strengthen the network effects as much as you can here and sustain growth. So, you'd be zooming in on things like the acquisition uh, rates, how, how your engagement is and how the overall economics and commercial side works. Yeah. So, that's the third stage, the escape velocity. The fourth stage is hitting the ceiling. That's when we said once there's too many meerkats in that mob and they're all competing over berries, there's, there's just kind of a point where this viral growth has to slow down. Once you've got all the professionals on LinkedIn, there's not that many more people that can join the party. And finally, number five, you've got the moat. And this focuses on the network effects to, to fend off uh, competitors. So, if you, you know, did create the first Uber app, what you've solved there, it's another step change more difficult for someone else to come in and take over the market because the network effects are already there. Drivers have already got the app and customers already got their habits in downloading Uber. For the rest of this episode, we're going to look at the first couple of stages, the cold start problem and the, the tipping point because... Uh, uh, that's probably where most people are getting started. And uh... Man, escape velocity, it's just a party from there on in, I think. I think you're just unicorn, a... you're loaded, you're having Lambos and you're partying on a yacht. You don't even have to work at that stage. So, we're going to look that's at... That's right. That's yeah. a totally different lifestyle, totally different uh, thing that we're dealing with there. But yeah, the cold start problem, that's that's your grow or die. That's your, It either works or you're cooked. So, at the start of an atomic network, uh, there's an important dynamic that is at play here. So, there's something called the hard side and this is where the minority of users create disproportionate value and as a result, have a disproportionate amount of power and this is where you as the founder of the company need to really focus on and solve this hard side problem of the network. Yeah, that's right. The hard side, they're contributing so much to your network but they're also pretty fickle. They're harder to acquire, they're harder to retain. If you think about some different hard sides across some different industries, for social networks, there's a whole bunch of people looking at content but there's a lot less people actually making the content. So, the creators are the hard side. If you look at app stores, a whole bunch of people want to play Candy Crush 
but there aren't that many people actually developing apps. So developers are the hard side. Uh, if you think at marketplaces, Airbnb or Alibaba or whatever, there's a whole bunch of people wanting to stay at someone's place. There's a lot less people actually willing to put their house up on the market. So kind of the sellers in a marketplace, they're the hard side. Yeah, just uh, a real world example. I was having a chat with a mate uh, yesterday. He was trying to, he's, he's doing a startup where he's trying to get um all the samples from different product suppliers around uh, around you know the construction industry and sell them on to uh, all the consumers, right? So he's got a two-sided marketplace there where he needs to have suppliers give him all the samples of their products and then he's got the other side of the marketplace which is uh, you know all the architects and specifiers looking to do it. So you know in this example, the hard side is definitely the suppliers and you know that's what He's focusing on the very start, and he read this book as well. So it was uh, we're yeah, nice. about this. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of obvious that the the hard side is is the hard you, side. The, the hard side that's hard. That's you you want to you want to focus your efforts there because that's going to be harder to get later on. If on Uber, if you've got a whole bunch of riders and it, it takes forty five minutes because there's not enough drivers, the drivers is obviously the hard side. If there's a whole bunch of people on Airbnb and only three houses to pick from, that's you got to focus all your efforts on this hard side first. So there's a range of different ways to solve this issue and a good example that he comes up with here is Tinder. Now, if you think about Tinder, if you go on, there's really uh, <laughs> probably, a, well, in terms of heterosexual relationships, there's probably a lot of horny blokes looking mm. for some really beautiful women. So the horny blokes are pretty easy to get on there and Very incentivize. Easy. They throw the Hail Marys out at 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning and the Hail Marys they're throwing, at, throwing them out at are the hot women. So the hot women here are obviously the hard side, right? If you get a whole bunch of hot women in, it's working well. It's probably much for any party. Um, <laughs> if you have a house party and you're a bit younger, getting a whole bunch of hot women into the, the event is going to um, make it a lot better. Maybe I'm venturing off a bit here. I no, well, they, no they, they said that uh, statistically, men swipe right, you know, give the green tick of approval to 56% of women or something like that. So, you know, almost... More than one in two, they're swiping right compared to swiping left. Whereas women, on the other hand, are only swiping 5% of the time, one in 20. So clearly it is the hard side there because it seems like, you know, men are going, men are going for the uh, quantity approach. Women are going the quality approach. So it kind of means that if blokes are just swiping right a whole bunch of the time, the ladies are going to get the, the matches more often than not. They're going to match with the people that they select, whereas the guys are just the spray and pray. They're just hoping, hoping to get a match. <laughs> they're, just, they're just swiping as much as they can. Of course, the problem is if there's, there's too many of those horny blokes and not enough of the women, then there's too many conversations. There's too much... Uh, it's a bit creepy. <laughs> That's right. It's very creepy. If you've got too many different chats going on and too many different unwarranted messages flowing through, then you're probably going to stop swiping for a while. So this, like any business, is really going to be the focus of the start. And there's different ways of, uh, of solving it. So um, one way that Tinder got the job done was Sean and Justin, who were the founders of the business. They had a big plan. Uh, what they thought is they would throw a big party for a really popular, hyper-connected friend on campus and use that to promote Tinder. They'd make it an awesome party, be free booze, a lot of uh, free food, and be very exclusive about who actually gets to attend these parties, and uh, which is a, probably an important thing in terms of status when you're at a university. Yeah, that's right. They wheeled out all the big guns. They had uh, you know limos to this massive fancy house in LA where everything had been set uh, for a massive party. There was one catch: was when you got to the door, you had to download the Tinder app, and there was a bouncer checking that you had the app, and that was kind of it. You, you checked the app. You sign up and then you show the bouncer, then you're into the party, have a big night and then you realize the next day 
They're like, oh, what's this new app on my phone? Mm. And amazingly, they found that 95% of that initial batch, those initial 500 people, 95% of these started using the app every day for three hours. Yeah. Which is, that's just, that's pretty it's insane, isn't it? Well, at that party, you know, you, we're walking around, there's a whole bunch of uh, hot people you'd like to, to speak to. Um, but you don't get to, right? So the next mm. day you wake up and you go, geez, who was that person <laughs> in the red hair or whatever? And then you start swiping, swiping, yeah. you find them. And then yeah, it, is something, yeah. it is something new. <laughs> and it is a bit more natural. The ratio is probably 50 50 in that sense. You're not mm. going to have all the horny, horny men um, overcrowding the network. And that's why, uh, you know, Metcalf's law of just the more people, the better is a bit flawed. This was the highest one day spike ever on Tinder. And it wasn't just 500 people, but it was 500 of the right people, the types of people that they wanted and needed to help grow the app further. Yeah, and then thinking about that uh, atomic network problem, you're really solving it in, in one area for one university and that is something you could you know take again somewhere else mm. and somewhere else. So, you're really focusing all your energy on the one beachhead really and then um, moving from there in uh, solving the hard problem. That's right. They kept replicating these campus launches with these parties. They quickly got to 400 downloads and 1,500 downloads in a month and then 500,000 downloads a month after that and then obviously that's when viral growth starts taking over because uh, you hear of... You know, your mate who says, oh, I'm on this new app and I'm meeting, meeting all these uh, good-looking people and you think, okay, well, I better get on that app as well. So, that's when mm. your viral growth starts to take over. And you notice there, you're probably throwing a fair bit of money to solve that problem, right? I think all mm. the solutions we're about to go here, it's like you're throwing a fair <laughs> bit of money at uh, solving this cold start problem because you know, at, the, at the start, there's just no incentive to get on it. So, you need to sort of game it in a way that gets them on there and then, you know, once you got your 500,000 per month downloading it, uh, the rest is really history and you don't really need to throw every yeah. single party to get um, and give them free drinks to sort of lure them in there, eh? Yeah, that's right. A different strategy altogether, uh, LinkedIn kind of almost went the other way where uh, you jump on, someone says, oh, hey, I'm on this new uh, networking site called LinkedIn and then it's awesome. I'm meeting all these cool people on there and I'm creating all these business opportunities and then your mate says, oh, awesome, I'm going to jump on. They go to LinkedIn and it pops up and it says, sorry, you need an invite to sign up to this app. Mm. It's like, what? What the hell? That oh. seems like a weird way to try to grow a company. What's, <laughs> uh, what's the psychology of that Astro? It's like, there's probably a better word for it, but you know, you want what you can't have sort of oh, thing. Oh, totally. Right? Totally. If you uh, if you can't get in, all you want to do is get in. Oh, yeah. Clubhouse <laughs> had the same thing, yeah. Clubhouse was, uh, at the start, it was purely like, I think each person got two or three invite codes, but then, because it kind of makes it a bit exclusive. If you're on the inside and all your mates are on the outside and you say, hey, I've got, I've got three invites to join this exclusive app, you kind of be seen as like a bit of the king of your group mm. then. Yeah, so LinkedIn, when they did it at the time, it was pretty controversial to just, you, you got your Facebooks, your MySpaces, which was a bit of a uh, very non-professional and they were trying to launch that sort of thing in the professional context. But like where could they focus on? So, one thing they did, of course, was uh, invite only, but then who do they focus all their energy on? And the hard side here, what they focused on was actually like that mid-tier professional. Mm. Big Reid uh, Hoffman, the startup of you, Reid Hoffman, mm. um, the founder of LinkedIn. You know, he said there's people like Bill Gates are at the top. Bill Gates is getting so many requests, but because they're getting so many requests, they can't actually deal with it. And they also they've got enough opportunities that Bill Gates doesn't want intros to random people on LinkedIn, and he's not going to probably accept those cold messages and say, "Hey, do you, yeah, can we do a deal with Microsoft?" Uh, I suppose at the other end of the spectrum as well, the, the new up-and-coming hotshots, they probably don't have enough value to offer anybody on LinkedIn either. 
But in between those two, the middle group, that's where they're, they're building, they're hustling, they're trying things. They're also getting fewer requests, so they're probably actually more open to intros and they're actually going to take meetings and things are actually going to happen um, as a result of these connections on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's it. You go like that you know, mid-level manager or even up to a CEO of some companies and they're not getting asked every day what to do. And So, if you do ask them, then they're probably going to say yes. Be like when we started our podcasting, right? Like there was a tier that made sense. Mm. We're not going to aim for the very low um, people because no one's going to listen, but we probably can't uh, hit the very top mm. uh, people as well. So, to see the initial network in this middle tier of the hierarchy, the product was designed to be invite only as we, as we said by focusing on their own network. So, the people who initially invested in the company, they reached out to the people they knew because they were all on the same sort of level in that tier trying to you know, hustle and, and um, meet people. And from there, it sort of expanded and expanded and expanded with that exclusivity and I guess some level of status required to be in it. And then at a certain point when they solved it there, then they could open it up the floodgates, hey? That's right. Once they'd already kind of built a valuable network of the right people on there, then because it was valuable, then you can start opening it up. If they open it up from the start and you get a whole bunch of crap on there, those important middle-tier people, the really valuable people, they're just, they're just going to say, this is just flooded with, with no hopers here. So, they wouldn't bother joining. So, that it would have been kind of cooked. Another way to solve the cold start problem is a strategy called come for the tool and stay for the network. I really like this one. And this is how <laughs> our Instagram um, did it at the very start. Yeah, at the start, Instagram was... Um, well, not the not the very very start because it wasn't even Instagram. But once they eventually became Instagram, it was all about the the photo filtering, as in the tool of where you could take really good photos on your phone. And people were like, okay, this is awesome. People start seeing it popping up on their Facebook feeds with a link back to Instagram. This really nice looking photo of, you know, a, a, a strange an old high school friend who you knew was a dropkick, but they suddenly they've taken these masterful professional looking photos. And you're like, how the hell can this person do it? Surely I can do it too. So you think, okay, Instagram, they've got these filters that works with your phone. So I'm going to go to Instagram for the tool of taking sick photos. Yeah, well, at the very start, you didn't go on there at all for the social feed. You went in there for the atomic network, really, and in terms of psychographics, I guess, of the people who are really into those those flashy photos and using a really impressive and useful tool in editing photos. And then that's all they were doing at the start. And then, as you said, Asho, they started posting. And then initially, it was all about a tool, but then more and more people going in for the tool the value of the network increase and then sort of because the value of the network increased, that became more valuable than the actual tool itself. And then the network effect is the whole reason why it took over and, you know, took over the world now. And that's the whole reason you're going on Insta. Yeah, exactly. Initially, they found that 65% of people after six months of Instagram, they weren't following their friends and stuff. They were just following photographers or famous people or whatever. But then they found now totally switched after a couple of years 82% of photos being uploaded were hashtag no filter. They didn't have the filters on them. And so they realized that, okay, well, the tool that initially got people in, no one's even using it anymore because everyone's just hanging out with their friends and seeing what they're up to. So that's it, mate. So you can just build something really good to use and then mm-hmm. add a bit of in, uh, network effects in it as well. We've got another strategy here, paying up for the launch. Uh, this idea comes up a bit later in this section, but um, in essence, if you've got a chicken and egg problem, right, like, which is the network effect, two-sided marketplace. You can just buy the chicken. <laughs> That's right. The chicken's going to create eggs and then you've got chicken creating eggs, eggs creating chickens. That's right. Buying the chicken is uh, is one way to do it. If you've if you got the money, it would raise questions of, you know, is this ever going to be profitable? Like stories of Amazon, their first 17 quarters in a row, they were losing money because they were just buying chickens <laughs> and then they, yeah. they realized, well, are we ever actually going to make money out of this? 
similarly like Uber. Uh, have you watched that Super Pumped yet? No, no. Yeah. You've, should I get? I should get on an A. Yeah, probably before this episode would have been good because we were talking about Uber, but uh, uh, but that's all right. <laughs> hit pause <laughs> they, and watch they lost. It now. Uh, they lost billions of dollars, specifically in China, because they were trying to compete with the rival company there, and they were just burning money, billions of dollars, and uh, and people are wondering, what are you doing? Are you Man, ever going to make money a here? Lot of, yeah, they're buying a lot of chickens, aren't they? They bought <laughs> a lot us. Of chickens. They bought us. We were chickens. <laughs> we were chickens in the Uber. The egg lane. We didn't lay too many eggs though. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was like, I laid a lot of eggs. I laid yeah, a thousand plus eggs. We, well, yeah. we're both context. Listen, we both, <laughs> um, you know, hustling at uni, trying to make a bit of money, sort of thing. And uh, yeah, both Uber driving and it was, right. it was this initial incentive of get give two hundred dollars, get two hundred dollars by just doing one, you know, one thing. Yeah, that's right. Uber Eats does the same thing. All the food things, all the uh, Marley Spoon, everyone does that. Yeah, at first you there's some kind of incentive to get on there. It's going to cost the company a hell of a lot of money because you know if they're giving you two hundred bucks and me two hundred bucks just for signing up and doing a drive, I haven't given them four hundred dollars of value yet. But they're hoping that obviously over enough time, it's going to pay for itself. So in summary, mate, I think this book is really phenomenal for people who've got this specific problem mm. who are starting a business like this. It's an insanely valuable book, right? I would say for that. The, the small percentage of businesses that are trying to harness network effects, it's a must-read. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah. And I think even if you're not, there's, there's still definitely ideas for other businesses as well. But if you're definitely in this, it's, a, it's an absolute must-read. So, in summary, at the very start, if you are launching a business when you're trying to get the benefits of network effects, you know, firstly, network effects is super powerful. If you can mm. harness them, you can create a moat and a highly valuable business that you know no one else can come in. But at the very start, you have this issue with the cold start problem, um, the chicken and egg story, and you got the hard side which you need to focus on. You know, the hot chicks getting onto the app, the, the Uber drivers, the people who are going to make your content on YouTube. These are the ones you need to incentivize at the start. And it's not just going to be a simple cakewalk here and, and free. It's probably going to cost a lot of resources to solve that to actually be the kindling on the fire and the ignition to get it going. <laughs> the network, if you're trying to start a network effects company um, or product, if you do get through this cold start problem, through the tipping point, through the escape velocity, and then you're just making a moat, incredible. Some of the biggest businesses in the world are these, you know, Amazon, Uber, Airbnb, Facebook, Instagram, all these massive, uh, pretty much all the most recent massive success stories are these network effects companies. But of course, if you don't get through that, because you're so reliant on the network, if you can't get through that initial cold start problem, if you can't solve that and there's nobody on there, it's a piece of shit. So it's really a all or nothing type of thing. It's really a uh, solve the cold start problem quickly or die, you and the company. So in this episode, we, we gave a bunch of strategies to, to solve it. Um, in the book, there's going to be a lot more, but the ones that we covered that we really liked was the invite-only mechanics, which was from LinkedIn or Instagram sort of uh, strategy, which is building a really good tool and then uh, having that as the lure, then um, the network effects taking over later. And finally, if you've got a chicken and egg problem, buy the chicken, pay up for the launch and they'll be the one creating the eggs to get the overall future benefits. 